Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It is 8 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ Extra Time. Mark Watson with you through to 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, we will talk some water polo this hour. Yesterday was the Premier League, the finals. New Zealand women are currently ranked 10th in the world. Top 10 go to the Olympic Games. Water polo, the oldest team sport at the Olympics. Yet to have a women's team from New Zealand at the Olympics. Hopefully, fingers crossed, 2024. Uh, we'll open the lines too. Telephone number here 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. My first guest tonight, though, uh, incredibly honoured to have him on the programme. Uh, in the 1980s growing up, one of the big names in New Zealand sport that I heard of but perhaps didn't really truly understand was the name Swart. Jack Swart. Um, hard, hard man. Won most of the big races here in New Zealand on many, many occasions. Was robbed of taking his place at the Olympic Games in 1980 because of the boycott. I was lucky enough to get to ride with Jack in the Tour of Southland back in 2003 when he decided to make a bit of a cycling comeback at the age of 48. I took the time and I said to Jack, I said, who is the hardest bastard you ever rode with or experienced? And he said to me, he goes, Mark, I don't want to be biased, but he goes, my brother, Stephen. We had to have guys either side of him on a bike erg because he could push himself so hard that he potentially could black out and we needed to be there to hold him up if in fact he did black out. Stephen Swart would go and establish himself on the World Tour, ride the Tour to France and... A man of high ethics, he was the first guy too to sort of blow the whistle on Lance Armstrong and what was going on in the professional peloton. And I've admired this man from a distance. And I'm very lucky now to have him on the programme, Stephen Swart, to sort of reflect and talk about the world championships in road cycling that have just come to an end in Wollongong. Uh, Stephen Swart, good evening, welcome. G'day, Mark, how are you? Were you that hard? <laughs> Didn't seem it at the time. Didn't, can't have been hard enough. No, but I mean, I, I just had such respect for Jack and knew how hard he was. And if he's telling me you're the hardest, then I, I, I mean, is that an inherent quality, Stephen? Or is that something you can learn? Oh, I don't know. I think, um, hey, it's, maybe it was ingrained in us, or I don't know whether I was just, you know, at certain times very focused and wanted to, you know, 
better myself or better. I don't. It, 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 it's the only technique sometimes we had, and you know, I tried to make the most of it. Yeah, I remember talking to Greg Henderson. He says, "Look, the guy who's prepared to, the guy who ultimately is prepared to hurt the most is the guy that's probably going to win the bike race, particularly once that sort of group or that race is beginning to unfold." Well, like in the and like the world championships. Yeah, like the world championships. Yeah, the, the world is uh, it's like any, any of those world world championships or the classics or any, anything. It, it's a nutrition. You know, there's, there's a selection at the 200 kilometre mark. There's another selection at the 220, mm. another selection at 240, and then you know, then then the cream comes to the comes to the yeah. Uh, top. Yeah, I often say say it is a 250 kilometre bike race. It's sort of 220 kilometres is hope and 30 kilometres of truth because there's a certain threshold where the exponential curve of fatigue and suffering just suddenly just skyrockets up. Yeah, and, and um, that that's why the the distances are sometimes. The distance that they are, because basically, it uh, is, you can't hide from it. Mm. How many? Uh, yeah, there's, no, there's no flaking. Yeah. How many road cycling world championships did you ride in, Stephen? Uh, two, eighty-seven and ninety-four. Mm. What makes them unique? I was having this conversation with Ron Cheatley, and unlike a lot of sports, the world road cycling champs actually carry more weight than the Olympic Games gold medal on the road. Well, they probably do, or well, they have, because they've obviously been around for, for even a day. And, and you know, apart from saying being the uh, winning, you know, Tour de France, um, the World World Championships is probably meant uh, as a, as a one day race uh, is looked upon, you know, uh, as a great prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now the Olympics they are starting, you know, well for the riders themselves. Um, Maybe for the uh, history of the sport, maybe not. But for the riders, you know, there is prestige in being an Olympic champion because it only comes around every four years. Mm-hmm. Okay, lovely to have it in the Southern Hemisphere. Lovely to have it in Wollongong. Let's start with that. Let's um, let, let's start with the performance of young Neem uh, Fisher Black, uh, out of Nelson, winning that under twenty three world women's road cycling title. Is that is that the best result by a female cyclist in the history of the sport in this country? Well, we have had uh, a world world champion on the on the uh, track as far as um, back in the eighties. Um, can't think of the name now. Um, from from now from the Nelson region as well. Um, and but but in terms in terms of pure road cycling, in terms of t- moving the track yeah. and taking um, take yeah. t- taking away you know time trial results previously, but just you know because let's be honest, I mean you can be the best rider in a peloton, it doesn't mean you're going to win the bike race. Mm, yeah, I mean, so, and the other part of me doesn't get it because obviously they were mixed in with the with the elite, so it wasn't just past the post. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and let's just talk about it because it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Particularly when you get into the, you've got your teammates, or sometimes you don't have your teammates, depending on how much depth um, you've got from one country. But then you've also got this sort of um, what's the word informal understanding sometimes between the riders that you might race with on the world tour in your trade teams. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, you know, and that does happen. Um, you know, that's part why in '94 they sent me uh, to the worlds uh, to to basically look after Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So I really wasn't there representing myself. Not you know, 
not that I, you know, I was only Kiwi in the race. So what what benefit was I going to do by myself? Yeah. So for a situation like um, Neem Fisher-Black, I mean, she was pretty much got into that group. Uh, she was out there on her own. How difficult is it not having support and then still getting the result or trying to get a result when you just don't have critical mass on the brake or critical mass on the peloton? Probably uh, under her circumstances, it's probably a little bit different because, you know, she wasn't actually, she didn't have to be first past the post. She just had to be, you know, aware of her surroundings and what I know, you know, not having any uh, race communication this time, you know, no, you know, uh, the riders not having any radios. So she had to do a few numbers in her head and make sure that there's no one under 23s um, that got close. Mm. So, you know, it's just, you know, doing the homework as well. You know, you're not only writing, you're actually uh, flicking over some numbers in your head. Mm. Uh, the overall uh, women's road racing world champion is um, Annemiek van Vluten of the Netherlands. Um, you look at just how much strength the Dutch have. They were probably disappointed with the way Tokyo played out last year. What did you make of uh, van Vluten's performance? Oh, yeah, well, to... Um you know, she look watching the race earlier on. She didn't look very comfortable, but um, I, I think it's like a lot of her riders and her pedigree. You know, they actually uh, take a while to get the engine going. But she, you know, obviously played her cards really well, and you know, they just she she stunned them just by attacking them in the last 800 meters, and boom, got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, how hard is it getting up for one day? I mean, clearly in a grand tour and a multi-stage race, you can have bad days, but you can ride yourself sort of into form. How difficult is it getting yourself up for one day? I think you know, if you're a rider yourself, you know if you're on, on a one day, you know, you, you, you can tell within yourself it's either happening or it's not happening. Mm. So, and I mean to say, sometimes you have to push and keep pushing. You know, you go through this uh, extreme pain, you know, and you just don't feel like you've got it. And then all of a sudden, something just changes within inside you, and you know, you're you're in you're in the you're in the hunt. Mm. The men's road race absolutely just stacked with the likes of Sagan. You look at Pogacar. Um, you look at Volt van Aert of Belgium, but it was Remco Evniopoul who really, at the end of the day, did a bit of a demolition, winning by over two minutes and a remarkable performance. Now, some people might argue that riding the Vuelta Espana can flatten you, but clearly his performance there, his victory there, allowed him to come into this race in clearly some very good form, form which he was able to maintain and hold. Yeah, and, it was, and I mean to say, we're only talking maybe two or three weeks ago that the tour, uh, well, the Spaniards finished. So, you know, doing the right things at the right time, you know, and being being that young. And he, hey, this guy is a big, big talent. You know, don't underestimate that. Mm. Um, you know, he's only 22 years old, and look, uh, and look, look at his uh, Palmas already. You know, he's won, he's won this race. He's won, he's won all the hardest races, mm. and he's come back from uh, significant. You know, a big crash a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've we've heard of Sagan for for the last ten years, but he's really, you know, I think, he's past his you know uh, peak. But I think we're we're going to see a bit of this guy over the next mm-hmm. you know uh, four or five years, easy. Yeah, well, if not more. The way this race unfolded, 
who, who, which country got it wrong? Who got it wrong? I think Spain stuffed it up big time. You know, they keep missing the, the, the primary break, so they're always on the back foot. Um, obviously, the Dutch were put out right from the word go with Vanderpool um, not taking the start. Um, that could have put, changed. That could have changed the whole ball game. But once again, you know they're saying, you know, oh, uh, you know, reading a couple of reports, you know, people saying, oh, they didn't have radios today. You know, it made it totally different. But that's how it used to be. You know, so I mean, they say sometimes, and you know, it's great that you can see an opportunist uh, have a go. But I think Belgium had a real clear plan. You know, obviously looking at the very finish, it looks like um, Van Aert did a lot of the work because they came back, they pulled a minute back in the last four kilometres and he only got pipped, you know, to fourth place. Had it had uh, had it all been together um, and he hadn't done all that work, well, phew, he, I think he I think he would have taken the jersey. So, you know, they basically had it stacked either way. Mm. James Fouché rode very well, got into that early break, was in that break for a long time. Again, a sole trader out there. He's the current New Zealand road cycling champion, big future. What did you make of that performance? You've got to have a go. I mean, it's a, um, he probably knew it was a long shot, but, you know, you can sit in the, you can sit in the, in the main bunch all day and, you know, not even get mentioned or, or see, see anything. And, um, you know, and still end up with the same result, you know, being spat out at the end. Mm, 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 mm. So it's, it's, it, at least he did something. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, let's just go back to the whole radio thing because a few people have texted in on that. Um, I'm with you. I like it. I, I think it comes down to a little bit more race now. Um, it re- relies on you actually um, being a little bit more alert, uh, greater levels of communication, but it also encourages other riders to go up the road, understanding that, hey, there is a chance that a break can stay away. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, they say, I mean, I've been, it, it's been the last, you know, number of years, it's been frustrating watching a lot of the racing because it's been too clinical. You know, it always comes back together right at the very end. You know, I mean, even even, even a lower ranked rider, you know, I feel I feel sorry for them when they have, you know, when the team, you know, when the director's coming, you know, get up the road and get some exposure for us. He's just being put out to slaughter. You know, in the old days, you know, there might have been an opportunity if the if the peloton got it wrong. You know, something might something might change, and and he thinks, yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a chance here I could could stay away, you know, and he just goes that little bit harder. Mm, mm, but th- that seems to be evaporated now with with the, with the communication, and then the directors have got the the TV coverage, so they can see the expressions on the faces and blah blah blah, all that, you know. Hey, I understand it's 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 uh, it's there's there's a play, um, it has its advantages as far as as from a safety aspect, but. I mean, we were probably the uh, Motorola, you know, being one of the first communication um, companies that got involved in cycling, um, and being having the first race radios. Um, <laughs> you know, the, a lot of the guys, you know, they'd get halfway through the race and pull the earpiece out of the ear because they're just sick of you know the nonsense that was coming back through from the car. Yeah, and just for people out there, I mean, it isn't it? Isn't it? You can say, well, the brakes out by ten minutes. You guys have got seventy kilometres to go. You're travelling at fifty kilometres an hour. The brakes travelling at forty three. 
they do the maths and say, boys, if you can get everyone buying in and you can take it up to 50k an hour on this last stretch, you should catch them with about 500 metres to go. And as you say, it, that's and that's how it often does play out. Yeah, I know. And don't, don't, you, don't you think that's boring? I do. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm 100% with you. I, I, I like a little bit of the um, unknown. I, I, I like that... Um, yeah, I, I don't like the guesswork being taken out. Yeah, I, I like, you know, it's it's great to see a, a, someone, an opportunist, you know, who's willing to, you know, he might he might not be the strongest rider, but he, he's aggressive and, you know, he's hungry for a win. He'll do what he can to get out there and, and make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I was at the last minute lucky enough to be given the women's road cycling commentary at the Olympics last year when... Um, Anna Kaisenhofer, the Austrian, ended up winning the women's road race and the Dutch, led by Annemiek van Vluten, thought they'd caught everybody, didn't realise the Dutch yep. rider was still up, uh, the Austrian rider was still up the road and basically amateur won it. One of the great moments for Austrian sport and a lesson to all. Exactly, you know. And unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of it, you know, we're, we're losing that sort of aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what are you doing with yourself these days, Stephen? Uh, it's been a few changes this year. Um, I've actually moved from North Island to the South Island, so I'm currently now located in Christchurch. Yep. And uh, must say, it's as far as getting out on the bike, it's very enjoyable. Um, so I just got to get used to the uh, a bit, little bit colder climate. But um, I'm just sort of setting up uh, business, and um, I've always sort of worked for myself and. Yep. Um, and what's what's the bus, what's the business, Stephen? For those that might be listening in the Christchurch region, yeah, um, basically, I picked up a, a couple of uh, agencies uh, like thermal garage doors and um, an alternative to interior lining, so jib doesn't have to be your only option out there. And it comes fully painted and no plastering involved, so you know it's not might be something for everybody, but I've put a uh, display in the Home Idea Centre there in Rickerton and uh, people are more than welcome to come along and have a look. And they can also talk a little bit of cycling with you too and talk about the good old days and what it was like to ride in the Tour de France and reminisce and and what it was like to race without radios. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Hey, um, I also see that uh, you've been doing a bit of riding with Craig Adair and he's perhaps not that fit and that he's suffering even over 40 kilometres. Is that true? Oh, you know, hey... Uh, Maybe he gets his ambitions and abilities mixed up. Yeah, he confuses his ability with ambition, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, taking it slowly. I'm taking him on a little uh, bike trip at the beginning of next month with a few other guys, so he'll be he'll be all right. Hey, don't take he'll it slowly. Him. Put him in the box, man. <laughs> Throw the no, keys away. Throw the, the keys away and lock him in the chamber, the torture chamber. <laughs> no, nah, it's a, sort of old boy stuff now. We just, you know... It's all about having fun on the bike, not actually uh, trying to blow a heart up. And you and you catch up with Jack much? Yeah, uh, he's coming down on Wednesday. Actually, we've got a uh, couple. I've got another brother from the states coming out, and it's a bit of a family thing. And we're off to half for a bit of white baiting. Mm-hmm. And look, uh, Stephen, just while I've got you on it, because I've never, I've always hated the whole drugs and sport thing, and you were maligned for coming out and sort of spilling the beans initially on Armstrong. Any regrets in any of that? Well, not regrets. I mean, to say it wasn't about, and I didn't do it for me. I mean, to say I did it to try and, you know, Im- improve the sport. Cause yeah. At that time, it was in a pretty pretty bad state of affairs, especially at the very high end of it. 
Yeah, and you also want you want young New Zealand riders to be able to have a pathway and go, hey, look, you know, if you work hard and if you get up every day and you make the sacrifices and you chase the dream, you can genuinely get there rather than saying, well, you can do all of those things, but unless you put a needle in your arm, you're dreaming. Yeah, and um, and maybe that was a maybe that was a turning point because that seems to be the way it has um, turned around. Yeah, and there's a real desire, isn't there now, for New Zealand riders because of that hard working, but more that sort of clean green image that comes with our riders. Well, it's not only that, but I think we've got a very very good um, track program here. Yeah, and um, you know we're we're very you know we're high regarded very highly in uh, in, in the world in the world. And now with all the technology out there, you know, with uh, your, your power outage, uh, you know, basic, basically, you know, uh, um, a scout from Europe doesn't actually have to see the rider. He can just look at the numbers and mm. say, hey, this guy's got a big motor, you know, and then, you know, do, do, do the research and pull him out from there. So that that's, that's a really good, helpful tool for getting these guys, you know, to the next stage, mm. next stage. Well, Stephen Swart, lovely having you on the program. Uh, make sure that, as I said, you make um, Craig Adair suffer, make sure Jack suffers, and um, look forward to catching up with you in the future. No, appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. Stephen Swart there on the program, just reflecting on the World Championships. The Neem Fisher Black under 23 women's road cycling title is a remarkable, remarkable achievement. And you know what? You know what? They don't get paid a lot. They're away from home for most of the year. They don't stay in beachfront apartments when they are away from home. They're not guaranteed an income. They basically race for food. The Warriors could learn a few things from the likes of the Neem Fisher Blacks and some of our other individual athletes. 21 minutes after 8. Telephone number 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. We will take a break. When we come back, we are talking water polo. Mark Watson alongside of me, Ben Francis. Ben's going to be our third interview of the year. He played in a darts competition on the weekend. Reckons he got the yips. Reckons he might need a sports psychologist. We'll find out a little bit more, but good on him for getting out there and stepping up. It's all very well, isn't it, Ben, playing sometimes in your living room or playing in a work environment, and then you suddenly step into the cauldron with the lights and the pressure and expectation that you put on yourself? Well, yeah, I've done like little comps and things like that before, but stepping up to to play alongside the the best in New Zealand, and I mean like all the best players in New Zealand were there, was quite a very very daunting prospect. Mm. Um, have you ever played water polo? No, I never never have played water polo. Tough sport, man. Aerobically brutal, incredibly physical. You've got to be an extraordinary athlete. Uh, our women are number 10 in the world. Top 10 go to the Olympic Games. It's one of the oldest team sports, huge in Eastern Europe, Europe, and of course the United States. Lovely. It would be great if we could get a women's team to the Olympics in Paris in 224. And our under-18s just recently finished eighth. Now, one of the initiatives from uh, New Zealand Water Polo was to bring the top 48 men together and the top 48 women in the country and use a draft system and split them up into four sort of regional teams and establish a Premier League. Now, the finals were held yesterday at the Millennium Institute of Sport. I was lucky enough to go along and watch. Again, just blown away by the physicality, man. It it is tough. It is tough. But in a funny kind of way, I think it endears itself to the New Zealand psyche. It's basically a game of rugby underwater is, is one way of describing it. It's a combination, too, of football, basketball. Um, you've got zone defence. You've got press defence. 
Um, you play the sort of the perimeter. You've got the backcourt, if we can use those analogies. So I thought we'd just do a little bit on it this hour. So we've got Fabian Van Roy, who is originally from the Netherlands, who's a hell of a player in his own right. He was coaching one of these sides over the weekend. These days, he's the national events manager for New Zealand Water Polo. He joins us. Fabian, good evening. Welcome. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Ben. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Is it as brutal as I just made it out to be? Because I don't want to turn people off. I'm wanting people, encouraging people to play. <laughs> Um, it, it can be quite brutal. I think uh, it's, uh, well, as you've seen it, a lot of uh, action actually it takes part under the water. Uh, referees standing on the side of the pool don't always have vision on what's going on underwater and definitely can't call for what they think they know is going on. They need to be able to see it. So it can be quite brutal uh, at a senior uh, com- competitive level. Uh, less so, obviously, for the for the younger ages. Yeah, the, the um, and they have the thing called the exclusions, where you get twenty five seconds or twenty seconds in the naughty chair, which means that you're down a player, so it's equivalent to the yellow card. But a lot of that stuff is happening off the ball. Yeah, a lot of it uh, happens off the ball, like you say. That's the reason why we've got two referees involved in the game. One of the referees will will be watching the front court. One of them will be watching the back court and the, and the trailing players. That, ensure that uh, as much as possible of the action is being caught and, and if anything happens on uh, in terms of uh, uh, illegal holding, uh, impeding or uh, uh, a play that's too physical, you know, that often gets followed up with uh, with a 20-second exclusion for a, def- for a defending player. Mm. What, what does impress me though, Fabian, is for everything that does go in in the pool and sometimes, you know, there's not quite that level of intensity, there's not quite as much niggle, but I love the fact when the game's over, everybody just shakes hands, it's left 100% in the pool, there's no carryover and everyone just gets on with it and there's nothing but respect. It's a bit like sort of what you see sometimes in boxing, sometimes it can be a bit of bravado before the fight, but very much after it, it's just respect for getting out there and having been part of it. I think it's the way it should be. You know, we uh, we encourage our players to be tough, to be physically tough, but once we get out of the pool, it needs to be over and done with. Um, I, New Zealand is too small a country to be carrying grudges and, and often players will have grown up with, with the players that they play against so it, you know it just it, it eliminates any of that sort of uh, carryover outside of the, the, the field of play mm. and after the games it's, mm. it's all left out there on the court usually Now part of the I mean there's lots of different things that go on in water polo there's a national club competition what is the idea behind this Premier League? What was the idea of bringing these 48 top players together? Well, we originally originally started this off in 2020 after COVID. And uh, the reason behind organising something like this is to give our, as you said, at the top, our top athletes a great opportunity of competing against each other in a different uh, circumstance or with different teammates that you've known and grown up playing against but now actually have to play with um, and it's a it's it's a it's a way for our national team coaches of the various youth junior and senior programs to be able to select uh, players into the squad. So there will be maybe twenty or so players that haven't uh, previously been in any of those squads that have gotten an opportunity to be able to play themselves into uh, you know potentially a squad being a squad member yeah. going forward. And so, how did you determine uh, the four teams? The four teams were determined by the national team coaches. Uh, Angie Winstanley-Smith on the women's side and Matt Claridge on the men's side have uh, uh, gotten together and essentially assigned these teams based on 
uh, rankings that we've given players that have applied for these uh, these uh, positions or these teams for playing and being part of this competition. So these two uh, national team coaches did that with the help of their assistants and, and the youth and junior uh, uh, national team coaches to be able to determine which player would go where. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in terms of the coaching appointments for each team? Coaching appointments, very similar. Um, these have also, also been coaches that have applied for being part of the larger uh, coaching pool, if you will, uh, for New Zealand water polo that want to develop themselves and uh, wish in uh, in the future to be part of a national team uh, going overseas mm-hmm. playing tournament. Yeah, um, and so Fabian, yesterday we ended up having um, the bronze medal game, and then we had the gold medal game for both the men's and women's. What what were the results? Yeah. So the results were uh, the women ended up. Uh, the albatross team uh, ended up winning the women's competition and the men's albatross team ended up uh, winning the men's competition. I think uh, the women's competition was extremely close. It could have gone either uh, either way for any of the guys. Um, those teams were uh, incredibly evenly matched and evenly balanced. And it speaks to the incredible work that has been put in uh, over the last six, seven years by Angie and Stanley Smith, the, the women's national team coach. I think she's done a fantastic job. The men's program is uh, in more of a, um, a rejuvenating phase and a, and a reorganizational phase where we're working with a lot of, lot of young talent coming forward uh, and going through. And, and uh, the men's program is essentially at, at the start of, of a route versus 2028 and, uh, and hopefully uh, you know, an, Olympic, uh, an Olympic qualification as such. Yeah, now just talk a little bit about that because their senior women's team has had a very good result at the World Championships, 10th, but you know it could have easily also been a top eight finish. What did they need to do to get to Paris? I think they're extremely close. Um, if you're looking at the the technicality and the improvement in the, of the technical aspect of our women compared to, let's say, some of the European powerhouses, of course there's a, there's a gap, but the gap is... Uh, has gotten so much smaller uh, in recent times that, that that hard work is really showing off now, and we're getting so much closer to beating these top sides and and and, and competing with them rather than trailing, you know, at halftime by 10, 15 goals like we would have been doing 10 years ago. So I think we're getting incredibly close. You know, the the the, the issue is not being able to compete against. Uh, other international teams, whereas a European powerhouse would be able to drive across the border in three, four hours and be playing mm-hmm. in a different country uh, on the weekend. You know, obviously that's that's something that that we struggle with here, and COVID certainly has, hasn't helped with it. Um, in saying that, we did, like you said, extremely well at the World Championships for the women, mm-hmm. and it's it's really looking good. Uh, Fabian, when you look at the style of play, look in rugby, there's that sort of Northern Hemisphere style where they tend to play a little bit more of a 10-man game, a little bit more forward-orientated, look to slow things down. The Southern Hemisphere, we play a lot more expansively. Are there different styles in water polo? Is there one part of the world that plays differently from others? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, Actually, it's an interesting concept. There is definitely a different style. For for us uh, in New Zealand, we really have to... um, be as fit as possible and as quickly, as quick as possible in the pool. I think that's one of our strengths and something that we can really build on and, and compete with the other teams. And but you're looking at some of the European uh, uh, countries who would come in: uh, Hungarians, Serbians, Croatians. The men, 
uh, who, you know, are all fielding players that are six foot five, six foot six, and weigh 250 pounds. Um, it's 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 a different game, uh, you know. The way New Zealand excels with rugby is the way these countries excel in, in water polo. It's a real physical style of play that that is very difficult to compete with at a men's level uh, mm. for us. And you're looking at the Japanese, for example. They've got a completely different opinion about this. They realise we don't have men growing six foot five, six foot six, two hundred fifty pounds. So we therefore need to adjust find a different playing style and they play a very fast game. So it's definitely a regional uh, aspect to to the style of play that's being played. And we've got a number of athletes too, don't we, these days that are taking the opportunities and going on scholarships in the States. And um, what a lot of people won't be aware of is that we actually did have a New Zealand to two win a bronze medal last year at the Olympics in water polo, Rebecca Parks. Fantastic achievement by by Bex. And, and she's... Um, and who is she playing for? Know, just... One of the, just... One of, uh, she's gone back to Hungary. She played in, in, in Greece last time, and she's so she's she's got a Hungarian passport, right? So she's playing for Hungary, the country, and now she's playing back in Hungary uh, for one of the club teams as well. She played in Greece last year, uh, and and has gone back after years in Hungary, and has now gone back to Hungary to play club there again. But it must it must give you some confidence though that a, a girl out of New Zealand, okay, she might be playing for Hungary, she might be tapping into their resource, but it does just show that we are capable. Look, we've got we've got all all the physical traits here, um, and the physical uh, capabilities of, of of being able to to compete with these countries, uh, provided we get the right opportunity in terms of access to pool space and uh, and coaches. So I think it's really promising. It's great to see this, and it's a great example, uh, you know, to show our, our players. Hey, look, you put in the hard work. We can get there. We will get there. Mm. Uh, put your head down, keep working, and we're going to be in that spot one day. Well, Fabian Van Roy, lovely to have you on the programme tonight. Thank you. No problems at all, Mark. There you go, Fabian Van Roy from New Zealand Water Polo, reflecting on um, the Premier competition that they had over the weekend, the Premier League. It's a great concept. It, boy, it's a tough sport. It is a hard, hard sport. Um, but it's amazing how many kids actually play it. They start out playing a thing called flippable where you can stand. And you talk to this community, and I'm sort of getting to know the community a little bit. Um, very addictive. It, it can, at times, I'll be honest, it can be a little bit of a tough watch. But they're doing a really good job these days with their live streaming and, you know, getting up nice and close and showing people the dynamics of it. But another sport that you shouldn't underestimate. I mean, you are literally on attack one moment, then having to sprint back on the fence. You've got to get this egg beater kick to get yourself nice and high out of the water so you can shoot and you can pass and you can get above your opponent, which requires burning a hell of a lot of matches. And I use that as a metaphor for burning energy. You know, you're breathing through your damn eyelids. And so fingers crossed we can get a women's team to the Olympic Games in the sport of water polo. It is 22 minutes away from 9 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. This is Extra Time. Mark Watson with you. Ben Francis. Telephone numbers 0800. What is it? 0800? I'd say mental block. 150811. There you are. Having a mental block. Right, we'll take a break. It is 16 and a half minutes away from nine. Ben Francis, what is your music choice? I don't know who it's by, but this is the uh, song that uh, my fellow darts player and at the Oki co-host Ben Robb uses when he walks okay. out to the stage. Well, keep talking. What I'll do is I'll use my little app to find out what it is, but I've got to turn off here so the music can play in the studio. So you talk, and I'll, and I'll tell you what the song is. 
All right, well, this has caught, caught me off guard here, but uh, I can see Mark, he's intently looking at his phone. He's got the, the app up. He, he's, he's playing it. Oh, I think he's already got it already. What you need to do is turn the music up now and you stop talking. Okay, Ben, so the song's called Dangerous from Royal Deluxe. That's it. There you go. Dangerous from Royal Deluxe. It's amazing these apps, isn't it, that you can just listen to something, hit the button, it listens to it, it then tells you to the song and takes you straight to the album or the song, puts it onto your playlist if you want. Amazing technology. And now on your Facebook page later on, you're going to get adverts about this band and everything else, but that's it. Do you believe that when you're talking on the phone and you mention something, do you reckon there is a algorithm that goes with that that then starts putting stuff off on Facebook because I don't but then there are these occasions where you're saying oh I wouldn't mind going to Fiji for a holiday and then the next minute you get on Facebook and suddenly there's someone promoting Fiji for a holiday or or you mention somebody and suddenly they sort of pop up on Facebook I think it's too coincidental yeah I agree because so, like my, my partner and I you know we, we we've been talking about you know moving moving house and literally all that pops up on my Facebook now is buying like a new build house and you know you got your 10% deposit and things like that. Uh, had things we, you know, I think I said to her, oh, you know, I kind of feel like a subway and now I'm getting like subway adverts pop up left, right and centre. I said to... Well, I mean, if that is the case, the government needs to shut down on this stuff, mate, because it is a, a major invasion of privacy if people are somehow, whether it be electronically or... Yeah, some sort of algorithm is picking up what you're saying because that stuff should be 100% private and we're entitled to that. Yeah, I agree. And as I say, like at first I, I was kind of one of those ones going, uh, but the one thing I have found though is that as an example, lots of people have the Facebook app. If you go on your browser and go on Facebook that way, I notice that it doesn't tend to happen as much. Okay, so it's if you've got the app on the phone. I, be- no. I believe so. So I don't know whether it's like the listing, whether it's the phone or it's the apps, and you know, because everyone signs these T's and C's away well, without reading all the fine print. Yeah, well, we should perhaps, um, we should perhaps maybe see if we can, I don't know, people can phone up. This part, part, I mean, it's sport, but it's also entertainment, but I'd be keen after nine o'clock if anyone can give me some examples if they believe. Is it a conspiracy theory or is it genuine? Well, we, I, I was producing Staffy's show earlier this year and we actually, this actually happened that we talked pizza and then during the break I checked Facebook and Domino's came up on my thing and I said to him, I said, oh, this, this literally just happened during the break and he went and had a look on his and the exact same thing happened. Mm, it's pretty scary, eh? Mm. I mean, Big Brother is watching, aren't they? Big Brother is watching. Aren't you noticing too that there's just a slowly eroding this freedom of speech? More and more people saying, hey, you can't be offensive. But it's like, what is offensive? I'm just going off on a tangent here. Who decides what's offensive? Because what offends you doesn't necessarily offend somebody else. And what you think might not be offensive might actually offend me. Not that I would let it get on top of me. I'd just accept it as your opinion and probably move on. I I, I listen to a guy regularly by the name of Jordan Peterson. I think he's, um, I think he just brings some balance to the extreme left. He's very, very articulate, very articulate. So he gets labelled as dangerous by the left. Um, But he he makes up a really good point. He says, in order to be able to think, you have to be prepared to offend, particularly around contentious issues. And he goes on to say, it's like, okay, so where does it stop? So if it's one-on-one and I say something, I might offend you, okay? 
But what if you're talking to 100 people? How do you have a conversation? How do you present? How do you say something and not offend somebody in that group of 100? And, and that's the great issue with it, isn't it? I, I believe that freedom of speech, I believe very much in the fact that the judiciary should be separate from government and the media should be separate from government. But you start to sort of get a sense with the media that a lot of media outlets are just an arm of the Labour Party or the National Party, potentially, if they were in power. Um, I mean, have a look at Sport New Zealand coming out and saying you've got to have 40% women sitting on national sports organisations' boards now or you don't get funding. Now, what they're saying is we're sort of moving to an equal outcome model, which is just fundamentally wrong, should just be still based on merit. But is that their job, to be an arm of the government or is their job to promote sport, to promote activity, to promote health and then at a higher level to promote performance? Anyway, just going out on a a little bit of a tangent. These things just frustrate me at times. Uh, Look, after nine o'clock, Ben and I, are we going to do it a wing it out, Ben? Sort of, aren't we? Yeah, let's do it. We call it it a wing it out. We've got audio, we've got stuff. But being this um, special holiday, I feel a little bit of a hypocrite. I'm not a big royalist, but I've sort of enjoyed the day off. Um, I do. I'm not a big religious man. I enjoy Christmas as well. <laughs> I've got a really we're, – we're, we're rearing a lamb at home, this little – I've black, seen it in the nappies. Black and white lamb, and it walks around a nappy. It's get it too big. It's outside now. Oh. I'm a bit cruel to it because the kid's named it Prince, but it's got these really big ears, so I nicknamed it Wingnut. You know, like those wingnuts, <laughs> which which is terrible, but I just call it wingnut, and even my wife starts calling the little thing wingnut. Here I am, love this little lamb, don't want anything to happen to it. I'm putting up the stuff at the fence so the dogs can't come through, but more than happy to eat lamb. Life's full of hypocrisy, isn't it, Ben? Too many. We're all we're all guilty of it too. Well, I felt, felt a bit bad bringing home the, the KFC this afternoon, all the chickens at the property coming running over. Just always remember, mate, you want to be a world-class darts player. You've got to treat, you, you've got to say to yourself, I'm a Ferrari. And you know what? You don't put two-stroke in a Ferrari, big guy. You do not put two-stroke in a Ferrari, mate. You put two-stroke in a lawnmower. You put a high-octane in a Ferrari. I guarantee you regret it after it that you had that fried chicken. You always do with KFC. We'll see. Are they a sponsor of the show? I've got to be careful what I say. They're not a sponsor, are they? Anyway, well, just on that, if you hear advertisements for different companies and different products here on uh, SENZ, and they're at, at some point, at some point, they're part of your, um, they're part of your future purchasing decisions. Please go with the brands that you hear, okay? Because that's the reason we're on here. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and then we'll take another break, and then we'll come back and take some talk back. All right, we've just had to uh, back into our commercial requirements but please do not go away after nine o'clock we'll open the lines on 0800 150 you can text us here on double eight double three we'll look at some of the issues from over the weekend and give you guys a last chance to have your say of course news is not news for too long these days talk soon it is one minute after nine. Telephone number is 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. Right, Ben Francis alongside of me. We're with you through to 10 o'clock on this Queen's Memorial Holiday. Is that what they called it officially? I'm not sure. Um, 0800 150 Hey, can I just answer the phone? It's Peter Lester here. One minute. Hey, Peter, we're live on air, mate. Um, did you leave your glasses in studio? They're not yours? Okay, mate, I just put that out over the airways, okay? All right, Peter. 
All right, mate. Okay, see you, buddy. Bye. Okay, so that was yachting commentator Peter Lester. We hit him in studio between six and seven. There's a pair of glasses left here, and I'm not sure if they were Peter's or not. No, they're not. Anyway, uh, let's get back to it. That was a bit cheeky. It was probably a bit rude. Um, anyway, Peter knows me. Peter knows me. No one ever take me too seriously. Uh, I've got a terrible sense of humour. My wife doesn't appreciate it. She thinks I'm, um, what's the word, inappropriate. But I'm not. It's just everybody, well, everybody's inappropriate these days, aren't they? Anyway, I don't I want to get into that. 0800 150 is the number. Um, Neve Fisher-Black, who ended up winning this under-23 world road cycling title, um, just an outstanding, outstanding achievement over the weekend. Probably lost on a lot of people. Um, I'm not going to suggest that she should be nominated for the Halberg Award because I don't believe that age-based achievements should be considered um, for those gongs. I was disappointed years ago when Lydia Ko was nominated because she was 16 and she turned pro, but yet actually hadn't won a major championship. I think we saw the under, was it the under 17 girls finish third at a FIFA Football World Cup and there was a bit of discussion whether or not they should receive a nomination. And I think they did. Uh, because of that achievement. And so so there are some sort of exceptions to the rules where you can sort of go, Ooh, well, perhaps, and maybe, maybe uh, this performance is one of those exceptions. But look, just a little bit of light-hearted stuff. So what are we into? We're, what, nine, ten months into the year. Uh, just thoughts on those Halberg Awards at the moment, what athletes have stepped up, what athletes have overachieved this year. Um, who are those athletes that are going to ultimately end up picking up the gongs It's been rowing, disappointing rowing world championships. Just the one gold medal. Uh, Rugby's been disappointing. Cricket's been disappointing. Netball's been disappointing. Well, the Warriors. (laughs) Anyway, what were you going to say, Ben? Well, I was just going to say with the Halbergs, because I'm I'm pretty sure that you said cricket has been disappointing, but I'm sure that the... 10 wicket haul AJ's Patel got happened just like just missed the cutoff for last year, so it's still eligible. So I'd say that's probably definitely still on the running. And, and yeah, really well said because it is still eligible, and only three players in history have done that. So I think without doubt needs to be in that discussion. Um, and I'll also I think Daryl Mitchell's three hundreds and three consecutive tests in England, the first player to do that for a touring team to the UK. Remarkable, remarkable. Um, but then you go. You've really got to go and have a look at um, who was our young skier at the start of the year? Um, no, Nico Porteous. Nico Porteous won Olympic Games gold in winters. And I just can't see anything topping that because it's the Olympics, it's the winters. We've only ever won prior to uh, Zoe Sadowski Senate coming along and Nico Porteous. We'd only ever won one medal, which was silver. Annalisa Koberger back in 1992, I think it was. Um, and it is the Olympics. And so, and then based on that, Zoe Sinitzadowski winning gold and bronze, to me, deserves the overall gong. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think you can. Cycling's had a hell of a year. Sam Gaze, he's won the news. He's won the world short course mountain bike championship. He won the marathon distance world championship, and he won gold at the Commonwealth Games. So. I think Sam Gaze is very much in the mix. What are you going to say when the Kiwis win the Rugby League World Cup then? 
Well, I don't know. Uh, the problem I have with that is, the problem I have with that is, why is it that the New Zealand men's softball team never get any coverage, any mention whatsoever when they win a world softball championship, yet suddenly I'm expected to believe what rugby leagues is global or more global? Well, you know why. You know why. Of course I do. I'll get you to tell everyone why. Oh, better coming from your no, mouth. No, better coming from you. <laughs> Definitely not. But, uh, or it's just because, you know, it's just, I guess it's how sports perception is these days and sports like that just get the more coverage. So then everyone assumes that they're just greater. Mm. Yeah, well, that's it. That's the problem too, isn't it? That our certain sports, and let's be honest, netball, rugby, rugby league, cricket, they are actually globally minority sports. Now, you can take the population of India consideration and on a populous basis they are huge but let's be honest in India there's such a class structure that there's still only a talent pool that they pick from uh, yet the truly global sports just don't get any media coverage here so you're disadvantaged if you do do well I think Paul Cole is he in the mix I think Paul Cole might be in the mix uh, Aaron Gate winning four Commonwealth Games goals including the road race I just think the World Championship and Olympics still jump that achievement uh, I do I, I, that's just where I'm at, but certainly Aaron Gate right in that mix. Uh, it's funny because for recent years, it's actually been our women that have probably been the athletes that have um, really stepped up. And, you know, Lisa Carrington won more kayaking world championships. We easily dismiss her, don't we? And this is strange. Oh, yeah, but she wins every year. She's so good. We get a little bit bored by the fact that Lisa wins. Yet, do you think the Swiss ever got bored by Roger Federer winning? Do you think the Americans got bored when Tiger Woods is continuing to win or Michael Phelps continues to win? Probably not. These are not easy medals to win. Kayaking's huge. 59 countries. National sport in places like Hungary. More than rugby. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, but she wins every year. Let's move on. We can't have that mentality. Oh, but the All Blacks are the best in the world, Watto. Yeah, well, not at the moment, they're not. <laughs> anyway, you might have some thoughts on that. Just just one of the topics I do want to put out there, 10 months into it. I think it's really good. The Asia's Patel one, I, I, I you know, I definitely, um, big Daryl Mitchell fan and what he achieved. I thought he was just stunning, stunning in the UK. And that's the funny thing with cricket, isn't it? You can be terrible as a team, but you can have individual performances which can still capture the imagination of a country and still drive the grassroots side of it. Uh, look, the rugby from over the weekend, uh, I, I did a show yesterday here uh, between 8 and 11, and which was technically 7 or 10 because of daylight saving. And I think a lot of people probably are not, maybe not familiar with the rugby show being on ECNZ on a Sunday, but it was yesterday. We called it Bleeding bleeding black the morning after. Uh, look, I spent most of it actually just celebrating the performance at Eden Park because I thought it was the best All Blacks performance of the year. Um, but it doesn't give me any more faith in Ian Foster than I had four or five weeks ago. I think the success of the All Blacks, and I'm still not sure we'll really know where this All Black team's at until that Northern Hemisphere tour. You know, to get the pass mark from me, and a lot of people I've spoken to, they need to beat Wales in the first, second week. They play Japan first up. Wales, Scotland, and England. Three weeks in a row, which is what they're going to need to do to win a Rugby World Cup quarterfinal, semifinal, final. Um, but I very much think Joe Schmidt and Jason Ryan, if there has been a turnaround, take all the response, take all the credit for it. And the reason for that is that we saw with Ian Foster 
his assistant coaches earlier in the year get sacked. We saw John Plumtree and Brad Moore getting sacked. They were blamed for the underachieving All Blacks. So if you're going to live by the sword, then you've got to die by the sword. So if suddenly the All Blacks are turned around and you've brought two new assistant coaches in, then surely the credit needs to go to them. But it's also how fickle our media are. We beat Australia. It's a terrible Australian team. Australian rugby is the lowest ever it's ever been. And we're almost beat, we're probably beaten in the first test. We won yesterday. And we won comfortably lead back. Oh, now everything's okay. We're on track. We're going to win the World Cup. Do people still genuinely believe that? Have you seen enough to believe that? I want to get your thoughts. Last chance to have you say 0800 150811. Don't get me wrong. The All Blacks were brilliant. And I said that yesterday. I went through every player. And it was very hard to fault anyone. But for the first time in history, the Northern Hemisphere have surpassed the Southern Hemisphere. They are now the benchmark. Australia's no longer the benchmark. Argentina certainly aren't the benchmark. And South Africa, well, they've always been a bit hit and miss. They're not the benchmark. Ireland was the benchmark we were beaten. France is the benchmark. Last time we played them, they beat us. I think you can throw England, Wales and Scotland all in there now. They know how to beat us. Jump on the phone. Have your say on this one. Am I being too harsh? I, I don't think I am. So much damage has been done under Ian Foster with this All Black team as the All Black coach. That a win against Australia at Eden Park and a win against Argentina and Hamilton after losing to Argentina and Christchurch and basically losing to Australia the week before... still hasn't instilled a lot of confidence in me. And I'll say this, if we do win those three, three, we, we, we should beat Japan. Hopefully we beat Japan. We should beat Japan. Who knows? Well, maybe we don't beat Japan. But if we do win those three tests, then, yeah, I think things have turned around. But I will put it down to the genius of Schmidt and to Jason Ryan. I hear a lot of people saying to me, oh, Mark, we just don't have the player depth. We just don't have the players in the country. We don't have the cattle. And I sit there and I laugh and I go, well, hang on a minute. None of us really believed in Ian Foster becoming the next All Black coach. I mean, he was given a lifeline into the All Blacks by his good mate Steve Hansen. He acted in an assistant role well. But none of us actually believed he was the right coach. The, the, the performances haven't been great. And just by coincidence, we've got the lowest, we've reached the lowest ebb and lowest depth of rugby talent in 130 years in this country. Just by coincidence, Ian Foster has got the worst group of players in the history of New Zealand rugby to choose from. I tell you what, some wonderful spin doctoring going on for those in the pro Foster camp. 0800 150811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. There are spear lines. Love to hear from you. Be a part of the show. Talk back is a better experience when you do. Jump on the phone. 13 minutes after nine. Boy, that brings back some memories of the mid-1980s, doesn't it? Footloose. His name Bacon in it, wasn't it? It's Bacon's first name. Anyway, um, yeah. Hey, really good text that's come in. Someone saying wholeheartedly, not because they agree with me, I just like the fact, the way this is constructed, wholeheartedly agree with your comments. Uh, I note 
that the All Blacks also go better and are more disciplined when Whitelock is captain. So perhaps suggesting that he is a better option than perhaps Sam Kane. Sometimes the position you play on the park just doesn't allow you to captain too. I mean, very rarely if we ever had an all-black captain on the wing. I think, um, what, Stu Wilson, 1983, Tilda England perhaps is the last time, unless it's, you know, just by chance or um, through injury. I'm just trying to think the last winger that perhaps captained the all-blacks. Anyway, uh, phone number is 0800 150 Graham, good evening. G'day, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, we're not yeah, talk, no, we're not talking about Friday night, mate. By the way, either. That's, oh, I know that. that, 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 that know, hey, Graham, that, that, that's a year ago now, mate. That's old news, mate. Okay. <laughs> if Auckland had won, I think I'd have, had, I'd have had to drag myself to the phone for three months, you know, with you guys, you know. Mate, if Auckland had won, if, if, if Auckland had won, we would have been on the phone to the Vatican. We would be asking the Pope to basically see if they could make Auckland rugby a saint because it would have been three miracles. <laughs> no, but instead the, <clears throat> the holy city holds holds strong with Canterbury again, you know, so there we go. Yeah, so it's always good fun having a bit of banter with you about well, that. Well, yeah. we don't have enough of it anymore. You know, rugby, New Zealand rugby have killed it. There's no tribalism anymore, mate. You know, you're one of the last guys that's genuinely so, you know, you're just so passionate and so patriotic towards Canterbury and you'll fight for your team and you'll fight for your players. We just don't have it anymore and it's it's part of what's wrong with the game now. No, it is. And, you know, I, I'm, I speak sincerely on this subject, all, you know, jokes aside. I mean, even here in Christchurch, you talk to people, you know, my work and that, and people generally and other places, and they go, oh, <clears throat> you know, about the All Blacks, oh, you'd be disappointed. Oh, a couple of weeks, it was when we lost, I can't remember which test it was, because we've lost four this year, haven't we? But, you know, they said, oh, you'd be gutted. And I said, no, oh, can everyone on Friday night? My life doesn't revolve around the All Blacks. Mm. Now everybody is hot-wired to what the All Blacks play so many tests. It's about the All Blacks. Steve Hansen... Um, you know, uh, not just him single-handedly, but the, the whole culture created by NZR has been, and you know, it's got worse now with Foster because obviously, you know, with them not doing so well at times, um, and the slide in the latter part of the Hanson era, uh, but people think, oh, you know, if you're a rugby fan, you're going to be depressed if the all. And I go, well, no, I never thought he should have been the coach, not because mm. I don't dislike the guy, but people, the general public. Uh, Completely just to say, oh, well, you know, if you're a rugby fan, you're, you know, your life revolves around the All Black Test, you know, and, and yeah, but, uh, it never has with me. My parents weren't like yeah, that. Yeah, but the the other thing I don't like is with more and more former All Blacks getting involved in the media, this mentality: well, you haven't played for the All Blacks, you shouldn't comment. And I'm like, what do you yeah. know about it? And it's like, well, you be careful what you wish for, because the day the public stop caring and the day you start to shut down all. Um, opinion or prevent them from having views, you've got no game, you've got no commercial side to it. And my answer to them is, well, don't comment or criticise the government because you've never been a politician. Well, exactly. And, you know, people talk about the economy, don't they? They don't have an economics degree from no. the university. No. Um, Look, New Zealand, every New Zealander has the right to talk rugby. It is our game. Exactly. You know, a few months ago, you know, I like Jeff Wilson as a person, but, you know, he said, oh, Scott Robertson said... He wanted to do this and that, and he felt he was destabilising the All Blacks. I mean, that was just a stupid statement because, you know, <laughs> you can't, what's wrong with ambition? You know, he, he, a New Zealander that doesn't make it 
has a choice to to think about. Well, I might go somewhere else, or I, mm. you know. But that that's the sort of mentality that I think you're talking about. It's almost, you know, it gets a bit like North Korea, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. A wee bit. No, it does. Not as, you don't get dragged into a stadium and you know have your family clapped hey, as you get electrocuted or something. I hear. But, um, I, sorry, I just hear the new stadium in Christchurch has just come out on a press release. They're going to call it Carlos Spencer Field. <laughs> no, the Mertz. Yeah, big Mertz. Never, yeah, he- no, never, no. never heard of her. What was what was her name? <laughs> Him, Andrew. Oh Andrew. right, okay. Oh sorry, yeah, right. No, no. I thought you said Andrew, Andrea. Alex Wiley Stadium. We did have it named once in '83 yeah, yeah. in the last Shield game of '83 when we played Manawatu. Yeah. That was a handy to mm. Manawatu side. But yeah, getting onto the All Blacks. So um, yeah, I, I, I just yeah, I like you. I mean, we've talked about this a lot in the recent days, but. Yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, that the papering over of the cracks and, you know, I think there's been so much going on behind the scenes, personally, not because I know, I think it's pretty clear to see Foster's just, you know, but he comes across as, you know, oh, well, the media were wrong and, you know, and, and, and he said the media, you know, when he when we lost in, won in South Africa that second test, his statement was, well, the media were so tough on me. I mean, if he went and lived in Britain, for instance, you know, in the royal family, whatever people think about royal families and that, they actually do not get an easy ride and football oh, players, yeah, but, oh, you I know, don't, but I they don't, do not get an easy ride with I, the media. I, I don't know why Ian Foster thinks somehow he's been treated any differently. You've only got to go look and look at Laurie Maines. You've only got to look at the way Hart was treated by the Cantabrians and then later by everybody. And it's gone on forever, mate. And, and I'm not blaming Canterbury. It's gone on forever. That is part no, of I it. Know, but, I, but, you know, I, yeah. I also remember, I also remember when I came out and made some comments in 2018 after losing to Australia and they said to us clearly, judge us on the World Cup. Well, we lost the World Cup, and what do yeah, we do? We just went and knighted Steve Hansen and then gave Steve Chu some Queen's honour. It's like you guys are not accountable at all. And we've got to make sure that we don't stop asking the questions. No, exactly. And, you know, that, you know it comes down to freedom of speech. I mean, they, 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 they do surreptitiously, I think, you know, have a lot of you know, influence on the media, um, to be honest, especially the sports media. Obviously, it's what we're talking about. And and, and, you know, I look at it like this, you know, with the Hanson thing, you know, he said judges on the World Cup, as you say, in 2018, uh, I think Australia and South Africa beat it or whatever it was. And, and, and you know, we'd lost the Lions series the year before, or drew it, I should say. You know, and he said, well, you know, this is your judges on that. And, you know, and I do think we, you know, one thing I've, you said at the depth, I mean, yeah, we've lost a lot of players to Japan, that's true. And a lot of them come back and play NPC and make quite a... Quite a, and from England too, you know, they're all over the show, players coming back. But I think, you know, a lot of it's just been, you know, some really strange selections too. And oh, look, of course it is, but you, can't, you just can't conveniently come out and say, none of us wanted Ian Foster, none of us had any faith in him. It starts to come to fruition that he's not the right guy and that all of our suspicions have come true. But then, you know, but no, no, we wave that away because he just conveniently happens to get the worst, you know, the worst... He's got the least amount of depth in New Zealand rugby in our history. I mean, why aren't it guys like Alex Hodgman in there? We've seen guys like James Lowe disappear. Um, what's his name, the uh, loose forward from the Waikato that um, a lot of people were talking about only a few years ago, whose younger brother's now part of the Chiefs setup? Having a uh, mental block. Yeah, Lachlan Boschier. It's like, come on, mate. Everybody else Boschier. could see Lachlan Boschier and say, hey, give the guy a crack. No, 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 no. He doesn't fit our mould. And 
off he goes. It's like, come on, mate. You know, you, you know. I remember, I mean, I, I remember years ago. And, and don't get me wrong, I've got nothing but respect now for Laurie Maines, and I, I enjoy his company, and I enjoy having him on the radio. But I remember Laurie Maines uh, after he lost all those tests. He goes, "You got to remember though, those previous guys, they had Grant Fox." It's like, yeah, but you dropped Grant Fox. You know what I mean? Yeah, you At dropped Zinzan back. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just well, he, he was one of those guys that did. Bring, well, he you got rid of some that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, to to be fair to him, but he did. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I've sort of got. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, but he, he was big enough to bring bring some of those guys back. But uh, yeah, to say we didn't have certain players when you dropped them. Yeah, I mean that was then back in about '94, I think '93. Sorry, Graham, I tell you what I'm excited about, and this is just an opportunity for other people to jump on the phone on 0800-158811. I want to see what this next all-black team to the Northern Hemisphere looks like now that Schmidt and now that Ryan are well and truly in the mix and they can have a say in selection as well because I haven't agreed with a lot of the selections we've seen under Ian Foster, particularly when it comes to front-row props at times. Oh, I know. And you look at the Ethan the group situation. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, what they said, oh, he was... Well, they basically said he was overweight and unfit. Or not not to the standard of an all-black, you know, which well, is pretty but, damn... But, and look at the way he played on, you know, and, and in the tests in South Africa, you know. Yeah, but even, even, even Lomax didn't make the original squad. No, I have my doubts about him, but he's... Um, I think a lot of people yeah. have had to, you know... you know. That, but that, once again, he didn't make the original squad. They wanted, yeah. um, you know, the same offer and Nepo and... Oh, I just got, oh, I, you know, Alex Hodgman, I think I've told this story, um, I, I know from the Blues, and I find Alex a lot through high school, and I've got a lot of time for him. You know, he asked some questions um, of Plumtree and these guys in the all-black environment two years ago. Questions... That all come from the right place. Just questions about actually just trying to get better, and they misconstrued yeah, yeah. it as him being difficult. Never got picked again. I mean, it's just appalling. Yeah, so I mean, I knew Alex when he played here for Canterbury and uh, top man actually. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, he's not the type of person just to. He would ask it from mm. a purely, you know, um, well, intellectual. <laughs> people talk about props and that, but that you know, from a structural point of view he would be wanting to learn mm. but you know it's co- good coaches should be able to be mm. challenged or being asked questions but that idea that well you've upset us because you've um asked a hard question wrong. yeah yeah it, it's completely mm. wrong you know it's um yeah yeah no and no, i i don't i'm not surprised to hear that but you know yeah it just yeah it'll be interesting now that a break what who they pick? I mean, there's players injured, unfortunately. Like we both like Ethan Blackadder and that, and and there's others. But um, there are, you know, we're gonna. It'll be interesting. I just hope they release some players back now to the oh, MPC. Oh, well, right? well, they have to, Graham. Hey, look, I'm gonna have to move along, Graham. But lovely, yep, good have, man. yeah, lovely to have you on the program as always. Um, yeah, look, it's 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 a fascinating one, isn't it? I mean, do you take Roger Tuivasa-Shek on the end of the year too? You probably got to now, but he needs to play more rugby. They still don't have faith in him, do I? I just wonder where the second five-eighths is positioned. He was never a great tackler in league. There's always a lot of traffic sink down that channel. Um, Geordie Barrett talked about it, and I've got to say Geordie Barrett was sensational in second five, uh, you know, I, enough to give him a start in the Northern Hemisphere uh, without doubt. But I would like to see guys like Alex Nankerville get picked. I'd like to see some different midfielders. You know, yes, he might not be on the cover of Women's Day. He might not, I don't know, I don't know. Does he have a sexy enough name? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know some of those celebrity or that novelty thing that goes with some players. But you've got to reward those guys. Brilliant at 
MPC, brilliant at Super Rugby. Why can't they be brilliant at All Black level? Not everybody needs to be flashy. But why not give guys? Why not reward them? Show there is a genuine pathway. That will prevent a lot of guys. And it, it, it can't be just for PR reasons and it can't be just to prevent guys from moving on. But you want players to stay here in New Zealand. You say to them, hey, be the best you can be and you'll make the All Blacks. Well, I think a guy like Nangaville has been. A lot of people have seen that there. You're mad, Mark. You're mad. No, no, go and watch Alex Nangaville. I've got no association whatsoever. None whatsoever. Don't, never spoken to the man. Don't know him. Don't support his teams. But he's caught my eye when he has played. 28 and a half minutes away from 10. Telephone number 0800 Feel free, jump on the phone. I'd love to have your say. Um, you never know who's listening out there. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong. I'll be really, really, really polite. Well, may, maybe. No, I will be. I will be. Yeah, no, I will be. Will I? Probably. Okay, we'll take a break. It is 25 minutes away from 10 o'clock. 0800 150 is the number. Cheryl, good evening. Welcome. Great to have you back on air. Uh, from Radio Sport Days. Oh, thank you. I really enjoy. I really enjoy your interviews. You're really succinct, and you um, ask the right questions in a very um, polite but direct manner. And I always find them really informative. I learned heaps living in Raglan. You need to know about the surfing. Yes. Even though I'm not able to surf at, at my my age. But I found Ben Kennings, when you had him on the air, that helped my relationship with young people out here no end and gave me a point of discussion and talking to them like I knew something about surfing. <laughs> so I thank you every time that happens uh, and thank Ben Kennings. <laughs> yeah, well, Cheryl... Cheryl, you've got Billy yep. Stearman down there who's just gone to the Olympics. He's a good raglan boy and he's a lovely guy to chat to he too. He was lovely. I saw him yesterday with his lovely lady. He is the nicest person I think God put breath into. Mm. He is lovely. He's charming. He speaks to any person, my age, whatever. He'll give you the time of day. Lovely, lovely, lovely chap. Absolutely gorgeous. Hey, hey, Cheryl, think, Cheryl, you've been very complimentary. My mother didn't put you up to this, did she? No, no, totally of my free, view, <laughs> uh, my free, my free will. Um, but I just wanted to say it's nice for those people to have um, feedback that, you know, they say things and you wonder if it um, hits the mark. But I, I really found it just so helpful and enjoyable. And uh, one of the new barista girls who's come to work at Raglan Roast, she's in the School of Canopy, uh, Academy, and she's going off to a big tournament. Did she say it's in New Plymouth? Um, the first week of the school holiday. Sorry, Cheryl, and what sport in yeah. surfing? Surfing, yes. Yep. And she's um, at one that Ben Kennings, uh, I imagine, if he's still with um, Surf New Zealand, um, he would have organised it. Must be big because she said there's thousands going. Oh, look, um, Cheryl, I but live. But he knew her. Cheryl, I live at um, Muriwai, so you know West Coast Beach, just north of um, Auckland. You've got Piha, then you've got Bethel's, and then you've got 
um, Murawai, and um, it's amazing just how big that surfing community is now. I mean, the cost of entry, the boards have become a lot cheaper. Uh, they've bought in what they call soft top boards, so you don't have to worry so much about getting smacked on the head. And they've got a lot more volume in them. And it's just amazing to go down there on a good night. And there'll be two, 300 people in the water. And it's no longer just a, a core group of people or a certain age or a certain demographic. It is everybody. It's people in their 40s. It's their 50s. It's the Europeans. Yeah. It's Asians. It's Pacific Island people all getting out there. And it's amazing how big that surfing community is. And, you know, and, and you talk to people in the surfing community, the capital of surfing in this country, without a doubt, Cheryl, is Raglan. Yeah, well, we've missed, of course, with the, the lockdowns. I used to love um, meeting the French and uh, Spanish and Brazilian surfers that came out here. Yeah. All really well-behaved, healthy young men uh, looking out, uh, eating good food. Um, and it was, it was such a... I so missed their accents. And just the um, ambience... Um, they actually gave the town, mm. you know, walking up the street and hearing people with different languages speak. It was a beautiful thing. Anyway, getting on to another beautiful thing, just briefly, I totally agree with you with Alex Nankerville being at centre. He and Quinn, my my poor injured Quinn, yeah. uh, as I'm a Chiefs fan, they totally outplayed the centre and second five eight pairing in the Super Rugby final. Yeah, look, I, I, I have to admit that the other two, Goodhue and Avili, yep. had topped events. Mm-hmm. I accept that, but those two boys broke those those defences all match. It was just a shame that the final pass. You know, you know, it just didn't happen at the end of the day. Yeah, look, Maggie, I find it very, I find it, uh, sorry, Cheryl, I find it very difficult um, to believe that Roger Tuivasa-Shek earns his place in that All Black team, and a player like Alex Nankerville can't. Nankerville can cover second five eight, can cover centre, can play in a multitude of positions. I think Uh, he'll play wherever you want him to, and I'll tell you. No bugger will get past them. No, no. Hey, look, Cheryl, lovely to have you on the program. I do have to move on, but thank you, and um, very um, generous of you with your comments. Uh, greatly appreciated. Um, you enjoy the rest of your evening, and you live in um, a beautiful part of the world in Raglan. Encourage people from around the country, uh, if you haven't been to Raglan, um, on the West Coast, not too far out of Hamilton, and I've got to say, it is just a booming, booming town. In fact, it's starting to look more and more like a city, just so many people moving to Raglan. I uh, got one of the best left hand breaks in the world. Billy Stearman, or what's Billy? Is he nine, ten time New Zealand surfing champion? Represented us at the Olympics last year. Another one of those athletes you just get on the phone and say, Hey, Billy, I'm not sure where you are in the world, or you flick him a text. Hey, any chance you can do a radio thing? And if he can do it, he will do it. You don't have to go through these media offices and, you know, rugby, and they just tell you they can't. You know, they, it's like they can't even be bothered even asking their players. And, yeah, I, I mean, these individual athletes across these different sports, both men and women, uh, just so courteous, so obliging. They realise the importance of sponsorship. They realise the importance of trying to sell their own sport, their profile. I tell you, the other guys who are superb to deal with are the, uh, are the supercar drivers. They understand the business they're in. My experience, the worst people to deal with are rugby. 
cricket not as bad. And one thing I will say, one thing as hard as I am on the Warriors, I've got to say Richard Beck and the guys at the Warriors are brilliant. They always make players available or coaches during the week. If there's ever a big story, someone is made available. Now, it's up to you then to ask the questions, but I will say the Warriors media is exceptional. Credit where credit's due. 17 and a half minutes away from 10. 0800 is the number. Okay, 13 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Uh, ben Francis, now you played in um, a darts tournament over the weekend. Is it tournament or competition? What, what's the official terminology in darts? Either well, or? it's a Dart Players New Zealand Pro Tour and I played in an event number five. So, okay, yeah. and how many, how many people in that? Uh, I think there were 53 entries. And is it just match play? Do you get a second life if you lose? Yeah, so you get drawn in. We were in groups of, I was in a group of five, so you play everyone in your group. Uh, depending on how you how many wins you get, you advance to the main round or and the constellation. Con- and how many frames, if I can use that word? Uh, so you play first to four, so best to seven, and then by the time, you, if you reach the, the main final. So then, first to four, best of seven, 501 down. Yep. Okay. And then if you reach the final, it's best to seven. Uh, the longer, the further you go, the longer. So how many from each pool go into the next round? Uh, uh, you need three wins to qualify. So the fact that if you're in a group of five, you get an automatic win because usually the groups are six. So then you only really need to win two games. Okay. Now, um, you wanted to touch on superstitions. Is it a sport full of superstitions or is it just you're superstitious? Well, I'm sure every, I'm sure lots of people do have their superstitions, and I was actually going to see if you had any yourself, but I, I, I should have been a bit more aware of it, but I kind of have like my certain attire that I wear. I wear my basketball shoes. I find them comfortable. I've got my long pants of the similar colours of the shorts I got on. I can't describe the colour, though. I'm not very good with colours, and I have a couple of shirts that I like wearing. But then I found out I had to wear black dress pants. I didn't have any, so I had to rush to the shops in the morning and grab a pair and... I felt I was really uncomfortable in them, and I was—I think that was one of the things playing on my mind a little bit. <laughs> and it sounds stupid to say. Oh no, but. it does. I mean, think little things can bug you too. You know, look good, feel good. I, I know that you know doing Ironman and bike crazy, little rattles on your bike sometimes. Your chain might not be—you might not be running what we call a, a, a you know, a, a very good chain line, or there could just be a little rattle, and those things can get on top of you. Um, in regards to superstitions, probably not so much for me, but I. I've got to a point where I've learned a lot through sport where, like if I've got to go and MC a function or I've got a speaking engagement, and I don't do much of it, but yeah, um, I, I do do some of it and I need to be on it. I, there are certain things I know that, you know, I work backwards. So I've got, I guess, my warm-up protocols established. I know that sometimes going for a run can be a good thing, a little bit of a sleep, and then I know that I'm alert. Um, and you figure out those things as you go. Run for too long, I can get a little bit, you know, feel a bit, Ugh, but fatigued, and so I, I have those little things that I try and do everything to get myself in the right frame, so that at least my nervous system's up. I've got some clarity, and I think, yep, I've got some energy. Yeah, it's quite it's quite an interesting one because another one for me is like I like arriving early, and if I'm not there early, I you know the, it's like the stress can kick in a little bit because you just like to be there and you can get yourself relaxed. So mm. I, I feel like I am pretty superstitious when it comes to. To certain things like that. Yeah, yeah. See, sometimes one of the hardest things, like clearly I, I just fill in on the station, but you get those night shows. And it's sometimes easy to forget that you've actually got to be ready to go at 7 o'clock at night. And sometimes, mate, I'll be honest, a lot of times I'm in bed by 8, 8.30. I, I, I'm not a late at all. I just 
like to read a bit of news and I go to bed very early and that's just partly because the kids go to bed early. I don't watch a lot of television. Um, but it's really easy sometimes to forget that you need to be up at seven and you've got a really, really busy day and you've got plenty of energy and you're feeling great at three o'clock and you're feeling great at four o'clock and you think, well, I'm not going to feel great all day. Be careful because it might be at seven o'clock where you need to be up. And this is not a job where you can just go and hide behind a computer. Uh, I mean, clearly everybody can hear you. Everyone can get a bit of a sense of maybe whether you're tired or not or whether you're onto it. And yeah. It's quite, it's quite interesting. Uh, I, I, something I definitely need to work on with those, those things. And you, you're kind of right about the kind of night things. It's kind of, because you can be here quite late. You, you, sometimes you'll be in the afternoon, you kind of hit that kind of lull period mm. and you're thinking, oh, and this is where I need to start getting. Yeah, well, I often get to one o'clock and I just need to have a little bit of a snooze. Mm. Um, I also got so in the habit of tr- when I was a full-time athlete where you just do a swim session, you're so tired that you have a sleep and when you go and do a hard bike ride and you have a little bit of a sleep and you can get into some bad habits uh, that you can break out of. But, um, yeah, what, what, what I... Yeah, see, I always find this with cricket. It's like, you know, if you're saying playing a day-night international, you know, how often do the black caps ever train at 7 o'clock at night under the floodlights? Probably What's never. the point of training at 10 o'clock in the morning when a game starts at 11? You know, show your body in training what happens on race day. If you've got a – if let's just say – I see this a lot with people training for marathons. The Auckland Marathon, as an example, starts at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, most people, maybe because of work circumstances, do a lot of training at night. Now, you get to 5 o'clock in the afternoon after work, you've had a few coffees, your nervous system can be up, you go out and you run quite well. And then suddenly they've got to start running at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, normally at 6 o'clock in the morning you're probably still in bed. So the body needs time to adjust and adapt. And so then they go, oh, it took me an hour to come right. And it's like, well, of course it did because your body's not used to doing that at 8 o'clock in the morning. And it's amazing how the body can adapt if you just repeat, repeat, repeat. And I'll give this example. It's like, you know, you're used to starting a job, you used to say getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning and you don't need to set your alarm. So you get up constantly at 7 easy. Then suddenly you've got to start a job that starts at 5 a.m., which means you get up at 4 a.m., well, when you, the alarm first goes off at four o'clock, it's going to feel like a bloody bus has hit you for the first two or three weeks. But after a while, your body adapts and you then don't need to set your alarm clock. You naturally wake up at four. And so you can train the body and get it in sync and teach it to be its best at certain times of the day. And so show your body in training what happens on race day. If you're going to do the Ironman, you're going to get off the bike at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Learn to run at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Going to start at seven o'clock in the morning with a swim? Train at seven o'clock in the morning. Work backwards. Practice your pre-breakfast routines. Know what you're going to eat. You can control all of those things. You can't always control your DNA. You can't always control what your opposition is doing. But there are a lot of things you can control. Some very good advice there. Well, I've done a little bit in the high-performance space, eh? just a little. Um, hey, just uh, Jess from Perth has just texted in too, and I always appreciate your text, Jess. Uh, mate, would love your views on the All Blacks not fixing all their problems. The Wallabies are weak. How will Geordie go at 12? Look, just recapping that, I'm, I'm, I've only got a couple of minutes here, Jess, but, yeah, look, the real test for this All Black team, whether we've turned around, whether we are actually improving, uh, whether or not the players that they've stuck with are still the right players, won't come until we come up against Wales, Scotland and England. Uh, Geordie Barrett, yep, you definitely want to give him another opportunity at 12. I think that back line functioned better on the weekend with him there. I'd still like to see, still prefer to see Will Jordan at fullback and Bowden Barrett on the bench, even though Bowden, you know, had some moments. Uh, and that would also then 
allow an opportunity for another winger, the likes of Seve Reese perhaps. Yeah, it, it's just hard because Australian rugby's the weakest it's ever been. As I said earlier, I think the Southern Hemisphere for the first time in history is behind the Northern Hemisphere. And the Northern Hemisphere at the moment are the benchmark. And we haven't gone well against them in the last 12 months. Beaten by France last year, beaten by Ireland, beaten by Ireland this year. You know, Wales haven't beaten us since 1953, only beaten us three times in history. Is it going to be the fourth time in history? They know how. Get up flat. Get up in our face. That's something Australia did not do at Eden Park. They did not have that flash rushing defence. So have we righted the wrongs? Not sure. Did the All Blacks deserve credit for the performance against the Wallabies on the weekend? Absolutely. And well done to them. You can't criticise that performance. You can only play the team in front of you. And all, everyone was superb. Best game from Aaron Smith. Best game from Brodie Retallick. Akira Wani impressed the hell out of me. And I haven't always been a fan. Anyway, that is us. Ben Francis, thank you. Privilege and a pleasure. As always, mate. Been good. Go get yourself some new pants. Well, then, yeah, you find out whether it's just the pants or whether it's you and you need to see a sports site. You're not going to comment, Ben. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.